Hey, everybody. Thanks for subscribing to the Front Row Knowles podcast. Hope you're tuning in to listen on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3 if you're in Tallahassee on a weekly basis, Wednesdays at noon. Also want to thank Seminole Boosters. Reminder, uh, if you're not already a member, jump on board to help make a great brand even greater. And don't forget, there are tickets available for Florida State's games this season. Just go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets to grab yours. That said, enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. I got to come up with a phrase besides good day because, Keith, when we talk after games, it's not necessarily a good day. I sort of have mixed emotions coming out of this one, Keith. I know where everybody's head was at at halftime. And I know this goes in the moral victories bucket, but I guess the thing I'm most pleased with, perhaps, is that the team doesn't seem like they're folding their tent or packing things in or, or quitting. And I know that's a really small thing, but I'll start there before we get into to all the things that did go wrong and could have, would have, should have stuff. Well, certainly had they actually folded the tents and mailed it in, like apparently about 20,000 of the fans at Dope Campbell Stadium did at halftime, we would be having the discussion about how disappointed we are. But the effort was there. Uh, now, I, I – I'd have to go back and look at some tape. If I ever had the opportunity to talk to, to Adam and to Kenny about what they were attempting to do in that first half versus what happened, um, then I might be able to be a little more articulate other than to say at halftime, I was ready to mail it in too. But you saw a little bit of a glimpse in that last offensive drive of the first half. And certainly you saw it when they came back out at halftime. And if you want to take the moral victories, you can look at the fact that the defense performed very, very well in the second half. Um, Contrasted with Louisville was, what, eight of nine or nine of ten on third down conversions in the first half. So I I leave the game at the 30,000-foot level not even disappointed. I'm encouraged, but I also recognize that for many of our faithful, many of our listeners, they really don't care. 0-4 is 0-4. And it just speaks to the fact that there is a lot of work left to do. But I would tell myself, I'd tell you, I'd tell anybody that would listen, there is, there is improvement being made. It's just not being made fast enough for any of us. And it's not translating into wins, which is very, very disappointing. Can I state the obvious here, Keith, that we don't talk about a lot because, and when I say we, I mean you, me, front row Knowles, but really Florida State fan base because we're just not used to it. When you look at the collection of players Florida State's putting on the field each week and you look at the other team, Florida State's not a good football team, period. They're not supremely talented as we're used to. There's no question. That's that's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about the coaching. I'm just saying, uh, so to, to further develop that, I mean, this was a pretty clean game and that Florida State had four penalties. There wasn't a bunch of missed assignments. I know the kicking was an issue, although ultimately uh, that wasn't why they lost, as it turned out. So I, what I'm saying is Florida State actually didn't shoot itself in its foot today against Louisville, and yet you look up and you're still losing 31-7 to at one point. You know, I think the biggest thing that jumps out at me is, and, and this is going to be very nitpicking, but, you know, I, I was not happy about some of the individual celebrations 
in the second half, particularly in third quarter. I mean, our players need to play with enthusiasm. They need to play with some excitement. But if you make a nice play and you're still down by 21 points, there's not a reason to celebrate. And that goes back, I, I think, to what you're illustrating in that we don't have the same caliber of athletes in terms of football players. They may be able to run as fast. They may be able to lift as much weight. From a height and weight standpoint, they may hit the parameters. But our kids are not good football players, and they're certainly not smart football players. And, you know, Mike and his staff are working on that. They've got a great recruiting class if they can hold it going forward, at least, you know, from a numerical standpoint. But you're exactly right. We, we can't go toe-to-toe and, and out-athlete teams like we used to and certainly can't outplay them as football players. And that, that part is very, very obvious. I'll go back to kicking quickly because this is an easy thing, Keith. I'll just remind our listeners that we talked about it last year. We talked about it this year. If you're going to play closer football games, being subpar in the kicking game is going to show up and matter. And it mattered against Notre Dame. It didn't necessarily matter against Louisville because ultimately, even if you make that the field goal you missed and the extra point, you still needed a touchdown at the end. But it definitely takes the crowd out of it for a little bit. And there's kind of a here we go again feeling when you're not making kicks. So I'm, I'm only saying that as a warning for another game FSU will play within the next eight weeks where it will come down to a kick again and everybody will be on the edge of their seat. and We'll just see. So, that said, we can move on from the kicking game. Do you want to start with no, the offense? No, we can't. No, we no, we can't. Okay, no, we can't. All right. go ahead. You're talking. You're talking about the specialist. There's no reason for that punt to get over a punt returner's head. There's no reason for us to not be able to do better on kickoff returns when we make the decision to to bring them out. So it's not just the specialist; it's the return game as well. And again, I'm not making criticisms of the coaching staff. I know they work on it. I know it's a point of emphasis. But football players have to understand what has to be done in the kicking game. And and we've just got to perform better. You you're okay. not gonna win. You're not gonna win big games when you continue to make those types of mistakes. You're yeah, so talking is- about the specialists, I'm talking about the returners. Yeah, no, it's a fair game. So a fair point. So let's develop it. Uh, I actually had a conversation with somebody at halftime uh, and this goes to a mentality and a mindset thing, which is, and it was this way under Taggart. I forget when they changed the rule that you could fair catch the kickoffs, but this offense struggles so much to gain yards at times that I would just, and Notre Dame did this week one, they called a fair catch every kickoff and they get the ball to 25. And I do, I do think that Florida State right now with these offensive blows, and I know it's you want to teach them to play aggressive. It's a mentality thing. I think they'd be better served taking a fair catch on every kickoff, me personally, right now. Just start it at the 25. Unless unless it's really a short kick and you got a running start and you're grabbing it at the 10, something like it's that. Not a, no, Tommy, Tommy, not to correct you or be a smart aleck, but it's not even if it's a short kick. If the ball gets any height at all, fair catch it. If you happen to get a line drive, if you happen to get something that doesn't get as much air under it, then bring it out. But if there's any link, if there's any height to the kickoff at all, fair catch it, take it at 25. Let's play another down. 
Yeah, and I think it the point goes to the fact that this team has not played complimentary football at all because the offense will go three and out. The defense doesn't get a full field to defend a lot of times because the other team's already at the 38 when they get it or the 42. So we're in agreement there. Let's start fair catching the kickoffs. All right. Correct. Now, I did not see where Keyshawn Helton lined up on that punt. I know that he hit it well. I know that in the moment, it was a good decision. I thought he was going to try to make a miraculous over-the-shoulder catch, which would have been a muff in Louisville's ball at about the eight. So I was glad he didn't touch it. But to your point, was he lined up too short? I know it's much easier. It's like being a center fielder or an outfielder. It's much easier to come in and make a catch than to run backwards and try to be Willie Mays on it. But where was he wrong in that? Or did the coaches not have him lined up deep enough? Well, first of all, it's not the coach's responsibility to line him up. It's his responsibility. Now, before anybody jumps up and shouts, remember, I return, I was the primary punt returner my sophomore year. That part of the game hasn't changed that much. His problem is he misjudged it. He moved up when the ball was hit and then tried to retreat. But I agree with you. Once he was in a bad situation, he made a good decision not to try to field that ball over his shoulder. But the bottom line, as I saw it, have to go back and look at the tape to confirm it. But the bottom line, as I saw it, is he misjudged it. He moved up a couple of steps, and that put him out of position once it got over his head. Okay. Fair enough. And I'd have to see a replay to look at it. All right. So I was letting the kicking game off easy, Keith. Anything else on the special teams? Well, you know, we can talk about the missed extra point. We can talk about the missed field goal. But as you pointed out, as it turned out, you would still need a touchdown which is where the game ended anyway. You were going to need a touchdown and a two-point conversion. You know, your kickers are not going to be perfect. I get that. Uh, so I'm not saying that that is the root cause of any issues. No, I agree with you. I, I will say this, though. Uh, the field goals from 40-plus yards are one thing. We've missed two PATs in four games. Now, one of them was a bad snap. But if you do get the touchdown at the end of the game and now you need a two-point conversion to tie. You're well, absolutely that- right. That, that missed PAT is pretty critical You're because Florida State, right. Florida State is abysmal in short yardage situations. And if you're going for a two-point try, that would be a short yardage situation. And we've seen – let's just go offense, Keith, because this, this goes to the heart of the question when you get in conversations with folks and you look at Corbin's numbers and, and they were very good. And Florida State and, and Ward, they can run the football. But they cannot run the football by lining up on first down and handing off and lining up on second down and handing off and lining up on third down and handing off. They have to put trickery and whatever. They have to throw on running downs and run on throwing downs. When you are trying to disguise the Wildcat by having McKenzie Milton look to the sideline like he's trying to get a play call change and you quick snap at the Corbin and you still can't get three yards, it's a team that has to use smoke and mirrors and they've done it. I, I think now you, you jump in here, uh, but that, that, that's what they're having to do to get the yards. They just can't line up and do it. Tommy, I'm just not a big proponent of going for it on fourth down as apparently coach Norvell is. It's his team. He can do it the way he wants to, but FSU was 0 for four on fourth downs tonight. On the particular play, I like that particular play call, by the way. I thought that was very creative. The problem was that Florida State's tight end to the right side was staring at the sidelines just like McKenzie was staring at the sidelines, and it was his guy that knifed in and made the, made the tackle. So 
the execution was not appropriate in that particular situation. But again, Coach Norvell understands the metrics. I'll defer to his judgment. I will just simply say through four games this year, we have not performed well on fourth down. And maybe maybe we need to go back to, as you're talking about, fair catching some uh, kickoffs and not going for it on fourth downs until we get a little better at what we're doing. Yeah. I don't know that he's going to go there on the fourth downs. And that's really, that's a different conversation if we want to talk about fourth down math. So let me bring it back to the short yardage situation. And and once again, Keith, uh, I'm I'm doing this show as I drive home. It's become a a tradition here. So I don't have the stats in front of me, but I feel like combined third and fourth down conversions, Florida State was five for 20 in this game against Louisville. Five for 16. You have them. Yep. Five for 16. Okay. But they were five for 20 on third and fourth down because they were five of 16 on third down and 0 for four on fourth down. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was saying. If you combine, so you're not incorrect. So, yeah. So five for 20 in short yardage. So, so back to my bigger premise, Keith, uh, against, I don't even remember now, maybe was it the Jacksonville state game? Was it last week against wake? I guess it was last week against wake where they tried to run McKenzie Milton on fourth and two and didn't get there. And everybody's upset about running the quarterback. That's not because they think McKenzie is a great runner. It's because they're trying to do something the defense isn't expecting. I mean, do you agree with that premise and how they have to try and get the tough yard? Do you really think they can line up and go go heavy and put extra tights in and get two yards that way? No. And, and that goes back to their resorting to, you know, the proverbial, if I'm saying this word correctly, tr- trickeration. And, and obviously that's a average – team trying to be good that's certainly not a great team who knows they can line up at third and two or fourth and two and will their way to a first down yeah yeah uh interestingly at the end of this game Keith Florida State though it doesn't show up in those conversions there they did convert one fourth down because of the pass interference didn't they uh like on a fourth and ten doesn't show up in the stats but I would say that that is correct yes uh, the bigger point being that it was Louisville that had the self-inflicted wounds at the end that almost let Florida State back in. Anyway, so going back to the offense, I mean, there there really hasn't been a quarterback question in the last two weeks because Travis, he wasn't even available this week. He went through pregame warm-ups. He was dressed out. He's got a huge brace on his right knee. I didn't even see him throw a pass pregame. So I'm not sure why he bothered to dress out fully because he didn't even warm up. Um, but your, your thoughts on where Milton is right now, Keith? Uh, I, I liked his performance. Um, he, he showed some rust. We talked about that last week, uh, in our after game show. Uh, he had a couple of times when, uh, uh and I love Mike Golick Jr. Who was doing the, uh, uh, he was the color analyst for the ball game. Uh, he's, he's just one of my favorite guys. He, he used the term we've heard, we've used it several times um, for years now, the turf monster, uh, the turf monster got, uh, got McKenzie a couple of times, but that's the rust that you pointed out. I mean, he's only taken what 200 snaps now, 210, 220 snaps now after being out for three years, that that's, that's going to happen. Uh, the interception that he threw, I don't have a problem with. He was just trying to get the ball to parchment needed to get the ball downfield. Florida State did not lay the ball on the ground. They did not suffer penalties. I mean, I think McKenzie is is rounding into the type of quarterback that that can be successful. 
Um, he showed some throws uh, tonight that I thought were remarkable. He made a couple of mistakes. Uh, he certainly got sacked more than I would like for him to do. I think they ended up with, uh, what, five or six sacks on the, on the evening. Um, but I don't think the quarterback play is the problem. I don't think the running, running game is the problem. I, I think the ability for Florida State to throw the ball down the field, their, largest, their longest completion uh, last week was, what, 21, 22 yards. I think the longest completion this week was 23. They just don't have the ability to force the ball down the field uh, like I would like to see them to uh, do it. But, uh, but again, back to the 30,000-foot level, I think they made progress. I like the effort. I don't have a problem with the loss as it relates to a single shot. The problem is it's the fourth one in a row, and everybody's upset about that. Right, right, no question. And that's not going to – people be upset if you, if you win next week and you're one and four, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, you're, when you're sitting at 0 and four, you're not going to be able to turn that record around very easily. Yeah, I think – I find it interesting. Uh, so, so Milton is not throwing seeds out there, you know. I mean, he's, he's not – it's not a rocket arm. But trust me, as you know, I watch an awful lot of New Orleans Saints football because of my wife. And the end of the Drew Brees era, meaning about the last five years, he couldn't throw the ball further than 15 yards down the field, and they were still going 12-4 and every year. Now, I know that's Drew Brees. My point is, I don't think having a guy – I don't if Chubb has got the best arm, having the guy that can throw a 60-yard spiral doesn't mean anything if the rest of the – if the receivers can't go get it and win win one-on-ones. And if the rest of the time he's putting ball into coverage and he doesn't have a good sense, McKenzie has a good sense in the pocket. He senses the right. I know he got sacked a lot. A couple of those were on uh, Robert Scott Jr. being back in the lineup and just not getting deep enough in his stance at the left tackle or in his drop at the left tackle spot. Uh, but I, I think McKenzie runs the offense pretty well, but he's a flawed quarterback. So is Jordan when he's healthy. I mean, it, it is what it is. He was 24 of 39. Averaged 10.3 yards per completion. Did have the one pick. So we say, all right, well, Malik Cunningham's an outstanding quarterback. He was 25 of 40. Again, McKenzie was 24 of 39. He averaged 10.6 per completion. So, you know, there's not a statistical difference between the two. It's just that we're going to look at Cunningham and say, you know, he had a better night because he won. Uh, I, I don't have issues with McKenzie. I, I have no problem with him continuing as the quarterback. Uh, I have no issues relative to – I thought the receivers played much better this week. I mean, this was a game that Florida State wasn't favored to win. They didn't win, but they showed a lot of grit in getting down early and coming back. And we haven't even talked about it, but defensively, you know, I know, I know, I know. Everybody could say that, uh, you know, Louisville took the, uh, their foot off the gas. But this is, a, this is a, a team that forced Louisville to six, five or six consecutive punts in the second half. I mean, the, the halftime adjustments that Adam and his staff made and the kids responded to, I thought, were probably the best of the year. And I don't think it's accurate to say that to, to argue that Louisville took the foot off the gas because – when Corbin scores on the second play of the second half, it's now 31 to 20 and you've got an entire half of football to go. So there's no take, there's no easing off the accelerator in an 11 point game with 29 and a half minutes of football to go. So I don't that's think a valid point. that's a very, you're right. I, I, I withdraw my comment. That is a very valid point. 
And, well, and I could tell from being in the stadium too, Keith. I mean, the life was out of the stadium in the first quarter because it was 17 nothing, And then it, it, it did come back a little bit before half because Florida State got it to 31-13, got a stop, their first stop of the game, and got the ball back with like a minute. Now, they didn't do anything, but there was a little bit of life. And then when you come out in the second half and you score on that, the crowd was back into it the rest of the way, and it was it was – game on honestly and I, I talked to Andrew Parchment after the game Keith we'll just continue on offense uh you know and I made the comment I said the football didn't work this way but you guys won the second third and fourth quarter uh which he said yeah and, and he agreed you know it doesn't work that way and talked about how they need to get out the better starts but the specific reason to talk to Parchment was was more about the end of the game so the second to last drive Keith and he first of all he was accountable and I appreciate that uh, there's times I've done this a lot of years. There's times when guys don't want to come in and talk to the media. He came in and he owned it. The second to last drive was a fourth down play where it was a scramble drill and Milton waved him deep. And that's where he put the ball. And I was standing right there. There Now I have no idea if, if parchment goes that way, is that a perfect throw? We'll never know, but he didn't complete the scramble drill correctly because he pulled up. And what he said is he thought the DB still had him over the top. So he didn't go that route, but he did, you know, you know, the scramble drill, Keith, if you're deep, you come shallow. If you're shallow, you go deep. So he owned exactly. that one. Exactly. He owned that. And then the last play, he owned that too. He said, look, Florida State brought me in to, to make those plays and that's on me. I didn't make it. And it, it's, you know, it's an interception, but McKenzie took a chance. He threw one up there as it was thrown. The DB didn't have his head around. I thought Parchman might spy it first, but the DB made a nice play to, to get it. And that's, you know, that was the ball game. And by the way, that DB uh, led the ACC in pass breakups last year. So it's not like that was a freshman that had never seen a ball in the air before. Right, right. So, I mean, I think we know what the parts and pieces are now. I, the only wrinkle that we could see come, you know, in, in future weeks is if and when Jordan Travis is healthy again, do you integrate him at some point, whether it's Wildcat, it's not, you know, McKenzie's your quarterback, but Travis might do – some some short yarded situations, not necessarily take a series, but he takes a play or two. I mean, I kind of think that's where we're heading on this, although I'm not positive. What do you think? I, I don't know. We'd have to talk to Kenny about that. We'd have to talk to Coach Norville about it, but but I don't have a problem with that. I mean, what you're doing this year, Tommy, now that you're 0 4, is you're start you're starting to to build some younger kids and try to get them a little more time. I mean, there are going to be plenty of folks out there that say, well, let's just bench McKenzie and let's play the young guys. Well, that's not fair either. And so Mike's got some issues. He's going to have to, you know, some competing um, uh, competing priorities that he's going to have to balance. But again, you and I talked about this at the beginning of the year. We wanted to see effort. We wanted to see buy-in. We wanted to see kids that didn't quit. We wanted to see kids that would, would, you know, do their job to the best of their ability and not worry about the individual glory. And we've started to see some of that. Now, again, I don't like some of the celebrations and some of the things that happen, but our listeners know that I'm, you know, old school and I, I don't go that way anyway. But I still think, and I think, uh, I think uh, you know, the AD said it best, Mike's the guy, and I still believe in him. This staff, I believe in. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be nice. But as we talked about, this is really Coach Norvell's first year. 
Last year is a wash. Last year is a, is a, is a gone. It was so unusual uh, that I don't think you can place anything on it. So let's judge this year as the first year. It's not started well, but there are two games that were real close. There's a game, this one tonight, that was a single possession. you got kids playing 60 minutes. You're seeing effort. Um, let's be positive and not dwell on the negative. Can't erase the fact that we're 0-4. We're all disappointed in that. Can't erase the fact that people are going to be critical and talk about it. But let's don't, you know, jump off the bandwagon and, and, and jump off the ship and, and declare everything, you know, bad. Because there are things that are going well and moving forward. They're just not moving fast enough for any of us, myself included. Yeah, and even though we give ourselves little reassurance talks all the time, like we're going to have to be patient. This is going to take three years, whatever. Then when you go see it unfold, you still get frustrated and you want to win in the moment, obviously. Because, right, so we love, because we love Florida State and we want these kids to do well and we know what the history is. Uh, we're human. Yeah. Before we move on to defense, Keith, so Robert Scott came back. I don't even know what his ailment was, but as I pointed out, he was, you know, he didn't get deep enough in his drops on a couple of those sacks, and so the defensive end's going right around him. And, I, you know, what was really bad about them is Florida State is throwing on first down because it's a typical running down. So they're, you know, they're, they're doing things out of whack there to try and keep the defense off balance, and then you're still getting your quarterback sacked because of that. So that's got to get cleaned up. And maybe now that he's playing again, if he's healthy, that will get cleaned up. Maurice Smith, though, didn't dress out again, Keith. He's now played one half of football, and we've yep. played four football games. Yep. And and he would be starting over Babion, and he would be better than Babion, which that's why he was first team on the depth chart. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a back issue. He he was He's on the sideline. He doesn't have a brace anywhere, at least exposed or visible. But I don't know, you know, at some point, I don't know when they're getting him back. That's a question for the for the trainers. And given today's world of HIPAA and uh, information, you can ask the question and probably no one will give you an answer anyway. So there you go. I do think I, I was led to believe it was sort of a game time decision today, but then he didn't come out and even warm up. So I, I don't I don't really know. I'm trying to think what else offensively, Keith. Uh I, I let, let's give Corbin some props. I know you, you, you probably need to give him a shout out here anyway. Uh, this is now two long runs that he's had on top of the fact that he had about three other 25 yard runs in this game. The, the long one at the start of the third quarter, Keith, that was different than the Notre Dame run where he just found a hole and, and it was wide open. This one, he kind of, there was a hole, but then he had to sidestep and outrun about three guys who were diving at his ankles. It was, that was a pretty good highlight run for him. He's, he's he, fun he, to watch. He, I, I like Gordon. He, he made some people miss. There's no question. And that's why we're going to uh, turn our attention now to our Prime Meridian Bank performance of the game. And we're going to salute Jay Sean Corbin. He had 11 carries, netted 159 yards, had that 75-yard touchdown run, averaging 14.5 yards per carry in this game. He's averaging almost uh, nine yards per carry, if my math is correct, maybe even a little bit more uh, on the year. And certainly he's shown uh, that his improvement in the offseason and the things that he's doing has worked well. Speaking of performance, Primary Bank was just named and has been named the best bank to work for since 2015 by the American Banker magazine. 
Want the bank where they greet you by name, smiling faces that offer you coffee and a cookie when you walk in the door? That's what I call great performance. Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Offices in Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and Lakeland are on the web at trymybank.com. Prime Meridian Bank, member FDIC. I don't know that there's much else we can add on the offense right now, Keith. Uh, We like Corbin and Ward. McKenzie directs the offense. He doesn't have the biggest arm in the world. He's got a quick release, uses different arm angles. It works. The offensive line is not uber talented or uber deep. The tight ends aren't special. And going back to Milton, I think there is something to be said for if he, you know, even if it's an eight yard completion, you don't have to have all ACC receivers to, to somehow fall into an eight-yard catch. You know, we don't have to have Peter Warwick and Ron Dugans and Lavernius Coles and Stoop Menace to catch the football. Louisville's receivers are not special, and they had a nice day. So, uh, I guess that's where I'll leave it on offense, Keith, unless you got anything else you want to add. Just got to continue to execute and got to start executing earlier in the ball game. Uh, so that you don't put the defense in the position where you look up and it's 17 to nothing, you know, uh, got to find some performance early. That would be the thing I would tell Kenny Dillingham, and he wouldn't disagree with me. He'd be the first one to tell you, you're exactly right. We got to do that. In fact, I yep, think one fact. of those drives, one of those drives in the second half was 17 plays long or 15 plays long. Those are the types of things that the offense needs to do earlier. Yes. Yes. Because for a second straight week, as we flip it to defense, Time of possession was two to one in favor of the opponent, and plays was about two to one at halftime, and thus the score was thirty-one thirteen. It wasn't Correct. quite two. It wasn't quite two to one, but but that's only because Florida State got the ball back and ran like three plays with thirty seconds left. Otherwise, it would have been two to one plays in favor of Louisville. All right, so the defense was a train wreck early on, though Keith, uh, including a, a, a receiver running free, which we've seen too much of. Over the last several years, I'm not putting it just on this staff in the last two years. Um, th- this year, I think the defense has actually had fewer missed assignments. They've had guys get beat one-on-one. But what happened on that long touchdown? Because that did – it gave the momentum to Louisville early on. It started to quiet the crowd, and it kind of led to the here-we-go-again feeling being per- pervasive. Well, what happened on that particular play is a Florida State defensive back got beat. I mean, that, that was a case where the receiver uh, out-executed the defensive back. It was not a bust. Um, I, I, I forget who the DB was. I'd have to go back and look. But if you go back and look at the replay, it was a double move, and the receiver just out-executed it, and Florida State got beat. That's going to happen occasionally. Shouldn't happen, and it certainly has happened far too many times. But that's one of those that's going to happen, you know, once a game, once every two games, and you just got to regroup. The biggest thing that I would say, if you want to judge uh, Adam Fuller's defense, is what they did at halftime and what they were able to do in the second half. Because one of the biggest things in today's game is the ability to make in-game adjustments and halftime adjustments. And I will tell you, Florida State probably played their best half of football and maybe arguably, as you've mentioned before, even much of the second quarter, from a defensive standpoint, that was a very, very good performance by Adam Fuller's defense. I know there'll be plenty of people that disagree with me, but particularly in the second half, that defense did what they needed to do in order to win a ball game. Yeah, they really did. I'm looking back at my notes, uh, and I, I 
I had written down the corners on the field for that long pass were Brownlee and Dotson. I think that was on Dotson's side of the field. Yeah, Miko, I, I think, is the one that got beat on that. I, I will note, and I don't know what's what's the what's going on. So Brownlee and and Brownlee, by the way, who got beat last week at Wake, very physical corner, which I like. He made a couple of huge stops in the second half on third down. Uh, one of them was was on Malik Cunningham, and one of them Cunningham threw it, and, and Brownlee cut down the receiver. Those were big plays. But he was out there pretty much most of the way at one corner. But at the other corner position, uh, Miko Dotson played. Uh, I didn't see – I saw Travis Jay a little bit. Uh, I didn't see Jarian Jones out there. He did have a cast on one of his hands or, you know, like a club hand. Uh, but I looked up in the second quarter, and they had Omarion Cooper out there as the other corner, and that was his first game action of the year, and he got a whole series, maybe two. I don't know. Now, Akeem Denton had moved to safety, uh, but he he wasn't around today. I don't know where he was. But the bottom line of what I'm saying, they used a lot of corners opposite Brownlee, and I don't know if that was because guys were getting beat or just to get other guys in there, but they certainly are. They were going deep on the depth chart and putting new bodies in there is what I'm trying to say, Keith. There, it, there's a youth movement uh, underway. There's, there's no doubt. And again, I'm like you. I don't know what Akeem's problem is. Um, he's somebody that I had great expectations for this year that basically has completely disappointed me. Now, if he's hurt and we don't know about it because it's not been talked about, I'll give him a break. But otherwise, he's been a no-show and a, and a non-factor. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think, I think they. You know, we, we buy into this concept, and maybe it's true, that the defensive backfield is so talented, both in terms of what they can do and in terms of their numbers. But what we, we fail to always recognize is that, you know, you can be tall and lanky and long arms and run fast and et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't have ball skills and you're not a football player, you're not doing this team very much good. And, and we just haven't seen a lot of that yet. Uh, hopefully it will come, particularly from the young kids. But that's a fair criticism, and I don't care who you are. That's a fair criticism of the defensive backfield right now. So Cooper was out there. I didn't mention Kevin Knowles. He played a lot too, but I think he's actually the DB they're using in their dime package. So it wasn't that he was out there early downs at that corner spot, but right. he's playing right. well. Uh, Keith, Sidney Williams was not available until the second half. Now we're, I'm moving to safeties because of his targeting call from last week uh was, was any of the issues defensively or how much of the issues uh, you know in the success of Louisville had to do with safety play and, and did it improve was Sydney part of the turnaround in the second half is what I'm getting at uh I'm looking at the stats Tommy and and Sydney wasn't even credited with a single tackle in the ball game in yeah other words, so that is- I, I don't know how many plays he even played in the second half for whatever reason well, it may be that uh, they just went with the guys. They, they knew they weren't going to have them for half the football game, so they repped other guys. He was on the kickoff to start the third quarter, so he was immediately out there in special teams. Uh, the guy who was – he doesn't come off the field very much is Jamie Robinson, and I spoke to him after the game too. He had between 12 and 14 tackles, so he's, he's getting a lot of reps too. Uh, well, I'm, in fact, I'm, Jamie Robinson is our, our Hobson Chevrolet defensive player of the game, and you're exactly right. He had three solo, was credited with 10 assists, had 13 tackles on the night, including a tackle for loss. Uh, so he is our Hobson Chevrolet Buick defensive player of the, of the game. 
get your best deal. The Hobson way, travel up to Cairo, see our buddies up there at Hobson Chevrolet. Uh, Jamie, I thought had a very, very good ball game. Here's the biggest thing about the defense, Keith, other than that long touchdown. It, it's we, we talk about the offense not being able to convert in possession snaps on third and fourth down, particularly when it's short yardage. Well, the defense, and this has been a several-year trend going back to Charles Kelly, they can't get off the field on third down. Louisville was 12th in the ACC coming into this game, barely better than FSU in converting third downs. I think they were 36%. In the first half, they were over 80%, either at 8 of 10 or 9 of 11. So they were either 80 or like 82%. Right, right. And, and only one of them – And we, well, let's just get this one out of the way. It was not – Florida State played a pretty clean game. There was a late-hit personal foul on Gantt. I take I do take objection with this one. Now, two things. One, you had him stopped. Gant didn't need to hit him. He could have pulled up. But if you're talking about the penalty, he started the contact while the guy was inbounds, and they flagged it anyway. And I do have a problem with that one, Keith. I do as well. And and in the broadcast, I, I would tell you, I think the, both of the announcers, uh, Anish as well as uh, Golik Jr., thought that that was a little ticky-tacky. Yeah, so that was one of the third down conversions. But that doesn't explain the other 70%. And a lot of those, it wasn't like these were all third and ones and you got a mobile quarterback, so it's easy. Uh, they, they're converting third and long yardage. And it, it gets frustrating to see. Now, they did a much better job in the second half. But what, what, what are you seeing on third downs, Keith? Is, is it, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's technique, but I, I wonder how much guys are domed up. Like, hey, this is a big snap. I got to make sure I don't get beat, and then they get beat. I think it has to do with not turning yourself loose and, and worrying about, you know, letting something get behind you. Uh, a lot of this, and uh, in, in Florida State played. Uh, I thought we'd have to go back and look at the actual snap counts, but I thought they played a lot more zone, as we talked about, that you need to against a, a mobile quarterback like Cunningham. And and it's back to all right. We're in zone. And I've got this responsibility, but when someone gets into my area, I got to jump it. And for whatever reason, and if I had the answer, I'm sure that I would be out there on the field explaining it, and everybody would think I was the biggest hero in the world. But for whatever reason, these kids haven't bought into jumping things in zone coverage. And and to me, that's the biggest downfall. That's the biggest reason why all these passes get caught in front of them or they're there, they get caught, they make the tackle, but they're not there quick enough to try to make the breakup. Yeah, there was one play early in the game, Keith. It's exactly what you always describe. It was a third down. They were in zone. And they all, it's like they put X's on the field where they're supposed to stand for their zone. Then they got they, there. And they got, they got there. They were on the X, but they did not move off of the X to the player that had moved into their quadrant or however many, you know, or their zone. And uh, as a result, the pass was caught. Um, another thing defensively that needs to be pointed out here, Fabian Lovett did not play. And so Florida right. State, he's had, he's had a good season. Uh, and so Florida State was missing a guy, one of the key guys to that defensive line. Now, he was on the sideline, not dressed out uh, in a jersey, I think, in the second half. Didn't have any braces on elbows, knees, ankles. So I don't know what that issue was. Uh, but he was there, but not available. Uh, Briggs went out for a little while, but did return. And I think other than that, they stayed pretty healthy. If, uh, I, I don't know what happened to Travis Jay. Uh, 
he was out there and then he wasn't. And I don't know if that was an injury or coach's decision. Well, um, off the record, there's issues relative to his uh, concentration of late. I'll just leave it at that. So the coaches can sort that out. Gotcha. What else on the defensive side of the ball you want to talk about, Keith? Again, I applaud the, 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 the changes that were made at halftime. Uh, you know, the negative is you gave up 17 points too quickly. And so what, what do you need to refocus on relative to game plan? And, and what are you preparing for uh, relative to what you see on tape? Uh, but I'm very impressed with the in-game and halftime adjustments. And again, I go back uh, repeating myself. I'm, I'm not a doomsday kind of guy. And our listeners know that, you know, I'm old school. I love the I love the aggressiveness. I don't like the celebration. I don't like the crap that goes on. You got to understand you're down by 17, you're down by 13, you're down by whatever. Um, but I don't fault the effort, Tommy. And and you know, there's there's one thing you can control in a football game. Period. The end. And that's your effort. And I've been impressed on the defensive side with the effort of these kids. Well, that goes back to my initial point when we started this uh, this show, Keith. Uh, you worry as this goes on about the effort, but I've not seen that be an issue, and that would indicate to me that guys are bought in. And it may be an effort. It may be an issue, rather. You know, if you lose a couple, three more, you you know, you go into – I haven't done the math, but you go into the Clemson game or, the, or whatever, you know, oh, and whatever, that may be an issue. But it has not been so far. And I credit the coaching staff for keeping the kids' attention. But more importantly, I credit the kids with, with, their, uh, with their effort. Because, again, repeating myself, the one thing you can control between the white lines is what you do in terms of your effort. And I've not been disappointed in that yet. I hope I don't get disappointed in that. should point out, and I didn't watch any of these games because I've been at the stadium, Keith, but – you know, the way Florida State's schedule stacked up this year, we all looked at it and said, oh, the first half is, is much easier than the second half. Well, now here's Notre Dame 4-0, and they beat the heck out of Wisconsin. Uh, you know, Florida State could have, should have won that Notre Dame game, and here's Notre Dame drilling a top-20 opponent. Yeah, Wake but wait Florida's- a minute, Tommy. What, what you don't know is that Notre Dame had two pick sixes in that ball game in the fourth quarter. Okay, so it was closer than that. It was closer than it would appear. That's correct. Okay, but they still won a game over a top-20 opponent or 4-0. To their uh, credit, wait. they did. And and I hate to say it, God knows I hate to say it, but Brian Kelly is now the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. He just went past Luke Rock. He's not one of my favorite people in the world, but I'll give him props on that. Well, he would have gotten there sooner uh, had he won in 2014 in Tallahassee, but alas, uh, that pick play, you know, uh, happened at the end of the game. So <laughs> I like you young guys with the memory. I'd forgotten about that, but you're right. Uh, anyway, to, so Wake Forest went on the road and drilled Virginia last night. So maybe they're big time. You know, big time. Wake's Wake's four and Nobody will ever want this. Is this goes back to my point about Florida State's just not as talented, Keith? I I know this is probably true. It's still hard to say. Wake has better football players than FSU right now. Like, we'll never believe that, but that's a true statement. Now, I'm not saying Wake Forest is going to be in the CFP this year, but they're better than we'll ever give them credit for. They're sitting at 4-0. Louisville may be a mediocre football team, but they're 3-1. and And then, meanwhile, the back half of the schedule, Miami's not as good as we thought. Clemson lost to NC State. 
So, hey, I, I'm just saying Florida State, not that you need to start counting up the rest of the schedule, but uh, I, I do, it, it's not a step forward because Florida State lost the game, but there, there were some incremental signs of improvement in the Louisville game. Uh, here's mainly the biggest, in the second yeah, mainly in the Here's second the half. biggest problem. Here's the biggest problem. And, and go ahead and write this down. The ACC will not have a participant in the college football playoff this year. That's all right. I mean, it's not all right, but it is what it is, Keith. Uh, you know, I'm good with that because I'm ready for Clemson to, to, to take a step backwards a little bit. They've, been, they've had it on cruise control for too long. Don't tell I'm me just, you're chanting, don't tell me you're chanting ACC ACC in your house, Keith. No, but but it is in everyone's best interest. And forgive me from a monetary standpoint, because remember, all that money goes into a pot and gets divided. But it is in the ACC's best interest to have some teams cashing in on those bigger numbers. That's all I'm. That's all I'm saying, Tommy. That's all hey, I'm saying. When, when Wake Forest is thirteen and zero, Keith. And they're only up to number nine in the country. Then we can we can talk louder about it. Okay. We will <laughs> complain loudly. <laughs> um, no, you're right about that. Uh, and the ACC is one of the only leagues that's had a team in the playoff every year of the playoff. Uh, FSU once and Clemson every other year. Won't be Clemson this time around. Um, anyway, I'm just saying the rest. You know, the rest of the teams aren't necessarily what we thought they were going to be either. Uh, FSU still has a lot of work to do, obviously. Uh, if the Jacksonville State game hadn't happened and you're sitting one and three, I don't know if you feel a lot better than 0 and four. Um, but there are three games that if you know that, that you could have won. I'm not going to say you should have won, but three out of these four, Florida State was in right, right until the end, for whatever that's worth. And moving forward, it's one game at a time. Let's judge it by what happens. Let's don't. Let's don't dial back our support. Uh, if anything, these kids and the, particularly the coaching staff needs our, our, our uh, vocal um, help uh, relative to that. I, I suspect there'll be some of our group that uh, doesn't want to buy into that. But the bottom line is, you know, you play a, you play a game every week. You got to put your head down. Kathy asks, Kathy mentions to me all the time, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to do the only thing I know to do when trouble comes my way. I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to plow ahead uh, because I have learned that the tortoise ultimately wins over the rabbit and I don't want a bushy white tail anyway. I, I'm speechless, Keith. I don't think I can add anything to that. So we'll just finish the show right here. Does that sound like a plan? Moving forward. <laughs> All right. Uh, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks as always. We'll be back Wednesday at uh, noon on Real Talk Tallahassee 93.3. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. <laughs>